Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much, Janice and David as well, for beautiful worship. Well, we will be in the book of Acts tonight. I know you're shocked. But if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8 here in a moment, we will just jump right in. Several years ago, I had the wonderful opportunity to go to Alaska. Now, I'm just curious by by show of hands, how many of you have been to Alaska? Wow, I'm surprised. That's many of you. It's one of my favorite trips that I've ever taken. It's a long flight to get there, but boy, is it worth it once you do get there. Had the opportunity to spend a little over a week doing things like camping and backpacking and mountain biking and summiting mountains. It was maybe, maybe my favorite outdoor type trip that I've ever been a part of. Everywhere you look is the most beautiful outdoor scenery. Huge mountains covered in snow. Crystal water everywhere you look. To me, it was like finding the perfect Colorado image, but seeing it over and over and over and even on a grander scale. When it came to the end of my trip, I was a bit sad, and we had made our way through the mountains and eventually to this fishing town. We enjoyed our time there. We kind of capped off my leg of the trip with a sea kayaking adventure. When it was finished, I had to hitch a ride back to Anchorage to find a way back because my friends were taking a, um, an RV further into Alaska. And so I found the one shuttle that went from this little ship, this little uh, fishing village that would shuttle me back to Anchorage. I get to the place, the depot where you get into the van and it's just me. A big empty van and one guy. This is going to be great. This is going to be a great trip. I was looking forward to just me by myself with this one guy for several hours. So we begin this journey together, and you can't just sit back there and act like it's not just you two, right? Couldn't just put in my headphones and act like uh, I I could go through this trip like it wasn't just the two of us. And eventually he and I began to talk, and eventually had one of those rare moments where I felt like the Lord said, hey, why don't you talk to him? And I felt like, well, I feel like I kind of have to because it's just, just the two of us anyhow. So he and I begin to talk and I begin to kind of funnel our conversation down to issues of faith. Eventually we get to this conversation where he tells me, you know what? I have been going to church, and I got to tell you, God has used his word to change my life. He began to talk about this recovery program, this addiction program that he had found in Alaska at this church. By no accident, 
It was the exact program that the church that I was working for had been taking the staff through to help train them. It wasn't a big program, it wasn't a common program, and yet that very same program that I was trained on in Texas, I'm here in Alaska, and I get to encourage this man in his faith for several hours. And it was as if God just said, go here, I've got you for this time, I've got you in this place for an appointment for you to lift up this guy, to share the truth of my word, to encourage him on these early stages of his faith. I don't know if you've had opportunities like that or moments when you just knew that God had brought you there, when you knew God had put you in the path of a person for a purpose, when you were there to tell somebody about the truth of God's word, to encourage them in their faith, to share the gospel with them. That was that kind of experience for me. Maybe you've shared that kind of experience as well. Maybe you've had a divine appointment like what we'll read about in scripture tonight, about Philip and an Ethiopian man. A few of the highlights that we've discussed so far is, is how Jesus has ascended, how Peter preached at Pentecost where thousands came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, how the, the church started to gain ground. And we see a beautiful picture of what the church was and can be. Chapter 3 showed us Peter and John being used by God to miraculously heal a lame beggar. Peter then begins to preach a second sermon. He's eventually imprisoned. He preaches Christ crucified, resurrected. Then Ananias and Sapphira come and they go. Deacons are chosen, Stephen is seized and martyred, Simon the sorcerer comes onto the scene. Then we have this passage tonight that we'll study, a passage about Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. A time where God uses his angels, he uses his spirit to put Philip in the path of a man who was searching for him. Would you join me in Acts chapter 8? I'll start in verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now listen to this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. Isn't it true that sometimes the hardest part of getting something done that you've been tasked to do is, is just getting started, just getting up to do it? We've all had those mornings when the alarm goes off, you're there, snug in your bed, and you're awakened by, ah, ah, ah. 
It's a terrible way to wake up. Now, through our phones, we're able to have a more palatable tone to wake us up, maybe a, a chime or a bird chirping. I've learned to talk to Alexa and, and tell her the time that I need to be awakened. And slowly she will start the tone and it grows louder in volume and I guess that helps some. But what I really need is for her to kind of coddle me and tell me I'm wonderful and that it's gonna be a great day. Look at you and your PJs all piled up in blankets. You look adorable. This is gonna be a great day. Why don't you get up and go seize the day? Because it's hard to get up when it's cold outside and you're there so warm in bed. William Harry McRaven is a retired United States Navy four-star admiral, admiral who last served as the ninth commander of the United States Special Operations Command from August 8, 2011 to August 28, 2014. He authored a popular book called Make Your Bed, Small Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. On May 17th, 2014, he was asked to give a speech at the graduation ceremony of his alma mater, the University of Texas. He chose to tell them lessons he had learned during his 34-year career as a Navy SEAL. His first big lesson of the speech and of his book is to get up and go make your bed. Get up and go make your bed. He says in his book, the, the, the barracks at basic SEAL training is a nondescript building in Coronado, California. Rooms are spartan with a simple steel bed on which there is a mattress, two sheets, and a gray blanket. Every morning, we would have to make our beds. If the task wasn't done properly, we would be sent on a 10-mile run. Making my bed taught me the importance of getting my day off to a good start. Years later, when we finally captured Saddam Hussein in Iraq, I was intrigued to notice that he had never made his bed. It's that kind of laziness that can lead to the downfall of any dictator, he writes. And the reason I mention that story is because if you don't make your bed, you're just like... Saddam Hussein. <laughs> no, I, I say that because the four-star ad, admiral was saying a lesson he had learned in this lengthy, illustrious military career was that getting up and immediately going in obedience to accomplish the directive he had been given proved to be significant throughout his life. Now, you and I may not have angels to instruct us, but we can know the guidance of God through his revealed word, and he has given us as his disciples a clear command to get up and go into all the world and preach the gospel. Philip was aware of this missional mandate, and when the angel of the Lord relays the message scripture relays to us, he got up and he went. Like his master, he was willing to leave the crowds and deal with the one lost soul. 
The angel could have told his Ethiopian official how to come to faith in Christ, but listen, listen, God has not given the commission to angels. He's given that commission to his people, and he's given it to you, and he's given it to me. Whatever the day may be, whatever the day may bring, whatever the day is that we wake up to, the call on our life is to get up and go. Get up and go. The Bible says he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. The ancient kingdom of Ethiopia was probably in an area now called Sudan, actually. But this was less important to Luke than the impression of a foreignness. I don't know that a more exotic person could hardly be imagined not only from one of the most remote regions of their world, he was an important official, a eunuch as well. Candace was not the name of a personal a queen, but a title for the mother of the reigning monarch. And the Ethiopian was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had been worshiping and was reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And since he was a eunuch, he could not become to a place where he was a a full Jewish proselyte, but he was permitted to become a a God-fearer, a proselyte of the gate. He was concerned about his spiritual life to travel over 200 miles to Jerusalem to worship God, and yet, in this way of Judaism, his heart was still not satisfied. Scripture paints this picture of his wealth as well, of importance as he is sitting in his chariot. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Go up and approach this chariot. I want you to think about how this intersects with your life tonight as we discover what is going on with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch want you to see first to to get up and go. The second thing I want you to see is to be sensitive to the Spirit. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Philip recognizes and hears the voice of the Holy Spirit and he obeys. To be fair, there are relationships we have and voices that we hear that we can get really good at ignoring. Every one of us has had that conversation with a friend, with a spouse, with a relative. They're speaking to us and somehow we've found that ability to tune them out, to drown out their voice and they say, hey, are you listening to me? Are you even listening to me? You, hey, trying to talk to you. We've all had that experience. But we can learn to drown out voices if we want to. But we dare not drown out the voice of God. 
We dare not become insensitive to his moving, his convicting, his comforting, his directing in our lives. In Midway, our Wednesday night gathering for young adults, we have a time of worship before the message. There's usually a guitar, maybe a percussionist, some vocalist. Recently, our guitarist went away on mission to Africa. I was tasked with finding someone to take his place. Well, I used to play the guitar all the time, consistently. And so I decided I can fill in. I can do this. There was a time in my life where I constantly played the guitar. So I got out my guitar, got it tuned up and ready to go, found the music that we were playing. It was pretty simple. I'd be able to play it pretty easy. Did a little bit of practice, went through the music with the vocalist, and then the the time came to play. We started, and the first song went well. The second song, I have to report, though, started to get painful. Because what happens, if, if you haven't played the guitar for a really long time, all your calluses go away on your fingertips. It's not uncommon for guitarists or instrumentalists that play stringed instruments to have cuts and bleeding on their fingers initially as they try to learn their instrument. Well, it had been long enough. All my calluses were gone. And about three quarters through song two, I was beginning to get concerned. This hurts. By song three, I was, I was hoping the Lord was going to come back. <laughs> Lord, come quickly. It was killing me. My fingers were starting to cramp. It was so pitiful. Starting to hurt, and I didn't think I was going to make it. But by the grace of God, I'm here to say we made it. We made it through. You know what it's like to develop a callus? Some of us have built up hardness in our hearts. We've developed calluses to cover our hands. We plug our ears from hearing, and when the Spirit speaks, we are unchanged, unaffected, unmoved. Maybe tonight we need to consider being obedient to go like Philip, but also to seek the Lord to make us sensitive to his Spirit once again. It's not an issue for Philip. He's listening. He's tuned in and the Spirit speaks and he runs right down the path where the Spirit has revealed for him to run. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Bible says in verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? I'll admit I hadn't really considered this before that the chariot's going by and Philip is running up. Hey, do you know what you're reading? It was common in this time for students to read, to read aloud. The eunuch replies in verse 31, well, how could I unless someone guides me? See, this passage is probably reminiscent to you of Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 
Then he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, was the passage that he was reading. Isaiah 53 describes our Jesus in his birth, his life, his ministry, substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection. And the Ethiopian focuses on verses 7 and 8, which describes our Lord as the willing sacrifice for sinners, even to the point of losing his human rights, as Philip explained the verses to him. The Ethiopian began to understand the gospel because the Spirit of God was opening his mind to God's truth. Philip then gives him the good news of the gospel. And the Bible says it this way. He preaches Jesus to him. My wife has done something that's ended up being just a gift to the both of us. Over the years, as we've had children and we try to remember their stories, my wife has always recorded them in the notes of her phone. Because if we don't record those things, we'll only remember bits and pieces, and we love to look back at those and read the things that the kids have said when they're young. When our middle daughter Lily was three, she shared with her brother some some good news. She took out her Bible and said, Brady, do you want me to read to you about Jesus and the Grinch? Markide 10 6. Now, doesn't that, doesn't that like sound like a, 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 a book of the Bible? A kid, yeah. Markide 10 6 says that Jesus killed the Grinch. Isn't that wonderful, Brady? We have some real, actual good news to share. The good news of the gospel truly is just that. From this interaction with Philip and the eunuch, we see this idea of a calling to to get up and go. And he got up and went. To be sensitive to the Spirit and his leading to where he might direct us and where he might use us to build his kingdom. Get up and go. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Finally, give the good news. Give the good news. Verse 36 says this, as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
That may be in parentheses in your Bible. And while Acts 8.37 is not found in all the New Testament manuscripts, there is certainly nothing about it that is unbiblical. As we practice now, they too in the days of the early church, converts were not baptized until they gave a clear testimony of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then listen to verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. Picture that just for a moment. But went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful story in Acts 8. In mere moments, a man goes from being lost and confused, seeking, not quite exactly sure of what he's looking for, to a redeemed rescued child of God. His response, rejoicing. (laughs) What a powerful picture. What a privilege for Philip to be used by God. Ed Stetzer holds the Billy Graham Distinguished Chair of Church Mission and Evangelism at Wheaton College. He's also the Executive Director of the Billy Graham Center, and he publishes church leadership resources through various Christian publications. He's a highly sought-after speaker. He recently wrote an interesting story in Christianity Today that caught my attention. He writes, when a reporter at Billy Graham's funeral asked me who the next Billy Graham was, I answered, Jane, the Uber driver. The day before Billy Graham died, he writes, I was headed to the airport. Donna, his wife, and I got into the Uber and met Jane. She wasn't a normal Uber driver for several reasons. One is that She had a Bible available in the back seat. Think like a Gideon's hotel room. We relaxed with our small talk, but we could see that Jane was gently and unoffensively moving this conversation towards a spiritual direction. Donna looked at me and smiled, and so I told her, hey, we're already Christians. We laughed and we found out where she went to church. But then I had an idea. He said, I asked her to share about her intentional witness and how she uses the opportunities God gives her with the passengers to show and share the love of Jesus. He talks about his conversation with her. He says, well, how did you get into Uber driving? Well, I got into it because my kids encouraged me to pick up a temporary job to to make a little extra money since real estate is so slow. Ed says, well, one of the first things I noticed about you and about your car was the Bible in your back seat. How do you start conversations with people about faith as an Uber driver? I usually ask them questions like, how's your day going? Where are you going? Are you on your way to work? I start with the word blessing. 
lot of times people will ask me, do you enjoy your job? And I'll say, yeah, God opened this door for me. It's a blessing. Sometimes I'll respond with different things. Oftentimes people will say, are you a believer? Do you go to church? Sometimes I don't get a response, she said. Ed asks, have you had an opportunity to actually go a little deeper with someone about what it means to be a Christian? Oh, absolutely. Here's an example. Last Saturday, I picked up this guy. The route's just seven minutes. In that time, he wasn't even buckled into his seat, and he started unloading about his girlfriend He was on his way over to his girlfriend's house and she was in crisis. He was beside himself. He didn't know what to do. I started to ask him some deeper questions just to get a a clear understanding of where he was at. He said, hey, what, what do you think I should do? She said, well, do you go to church? He said, no, I don't do that stuff. I responded, well, what about praying? He said, well, I don't do that stuff. I said, well, how about if I pray with you? This way you don't have to pray, and I'm going to pray, and let's see what God can do. So he was open to that. By the time I dropped him off, he thanked me, and he said, this ride was meant to be. You were meant to be my Uber driver. And he gave me a $22 tip. It was awesome. (laughs) Ed says, do you think people are open to sharing about the gospel or hearing the gospel? Typically, we don't think they're open to talking about faith, but you're starting conversations with strangers. So are they open? Are they not? They are open, she said. So many people are misdirected as where their hope lies. When I'm driving, I'm looking to plant the seed, sometimes to bring them to Christ. Sometimes it's me just smiling or offering a word of encouragement. Sometimes we're given the opportunity to share the gospel. Sometimes we only plant the seeds. But this is how she finishes it. But every day, I ask the Lord before I leave to show me how he wants me to share his love and his light today. I guess what I'm saying is, be like Jane. Be like Philip. (laughs) Look for those opportunities. Pray for those chances for God to put you in the right place at the right time to share the perfect truth. So when you wake up tomorrow, be determined to get up and go, to be obedient to his calling. Be sensitive to the spirit, tune your ear to his voice, and then give the good news. Share the gospel when God gives you precious opportunity, because listen, listen, I'm convinced There's always a carriage coming by. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you for an example in scripture like Philip. Somebody who would testify to the masses, who would be involved with a miraculous work.
But God, when you say go, he got up and went. God, who was so attuned to your voice and your spirit that when opportunity came, he followed and was immediately obedient. And God, then an example of someone who passionately proclaimed your son's work on the cross. Lord, we want to echo that in our lives. God, we want to be like Philip. God, will you help us in it? God, will you teach us through your word? God, will you help us be sensitive to your spirit even now? We ask and pray these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.